Hey everybody, we got some exciting news. There's a brand new podcast coming from Nickelodeon that you can check out. Listen out loud, the Loud House podcast. That's right, Lincoln Loud and his sisters are starting their own podcast and we're so excited to have them. So be sure to look out for Listen Out Loud coming soon from Nickelodeon. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon Animation in Burbank, California. This is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hi, welcome to the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. I'm Hector Navarro, and we've got a fantastic episode for you today. Welcome to The Wayne is the brand new Nickelodeon animated show about three kids exploring their mysterious, possibly haunted apartment complex called The Wayne. And we have got the creator, co-executive producer, as well as one of the stars of the show himself with us today. I am so happy to be able to introduce to you guys, Mr. Billy Lopez. So many questions about Welcome to the Wayne, Billy. I want to ask so much stuff about it. But what is it like going from the world of preschool shows, Wonder Pets, Third and Bird, Peg Plus Cat, to then go over into not a preschool show? What is it like for you as a writer, creator, all of that? It's a, it's a really good question. I guess there's probably a, some overlap, obviously. A lot of the brilliant people we've hired to work on the show are uh, our longtime friends and colleagues uh, from the preschool world. You know, it's and the other the other funny thing about it for me was that I, I worked in preschool for you know seven or eight years, and finally uh, I'm now working on a six to eleven show, and I feel like I finally graduated to grade school or something like that. You know, it's taken me that long, but um, <laughs> the difference is, I mean, you know, it's a good question. Like the sensibilities are obviously different. And the scope of the audience, the ken, you know, the things that they can that they can process and understand, or even like even partially process and understand, are just so much wider. So um, you you get to use uh, your imagination in different ways. Yeah. And for me, the best thing about this age group is the humor that you're allowed to um, branch off into. You can just get a lot more in depth and convoluted sometimes with the jokes and uh, have them go rapid fire and you know that as long <laughs> as your audience is getting you know a good a good 60-70% of it then it's okay so it's yeah and what I love about the humor in Welcome to the Wind which by the way it's so funny oh, it's thank so you. so funny what I love about it is I mean I'm an adult and I'm watching the show but this show does not talk down to kids in terms <laughs> of humor which I love yeah I, uh, I my favorite Nick show growing up was Ren and Stimpy which had a huge impact on me, and that was that was my impression of it as well. I mean, I guess I was a little older when that came out, but um, but I was sort of like, wow, this is for kids, but it's it's not. It's for it's for everybody. It's it's for the ages. Um, uh, not to say that we are, but <laughs> but yeah. but I love that uh, that quality in in uh, in kids shows for sure. One of the challenging things about writing the show is that you know we have a lot of plot to cover. And uh, and personal character development to cover, and then we ha- we try to get uh, jokes in at just about every every line. Um, so <laughs> you're you're sort of vacillating. Uh, one is vacillating constantly between these these different. Um, modes in writing and uh even if not every every line you're you're is making you laugh or is 
uh, or is, a, is is intended to be funny. There's still sort of a, a, a wryness that imbues the whole thing, and um, a kind of mm-hmm. self, hopefully, a sort of a self awareness uh, that um, that sort of you know pervades all three of the, all those different modes of writing. So um, so it's it's sort of tricky, but uh, but getting 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 things to kind of blend together like that has been a has been a fun challenge. It's around 2005. You and your brother Bobby, you co-composed two episodes of Wonder Pets on Nick Jr. How did that opportunity come about? Oh wow, yeah, it was. Um, I was living at home at the time. I was out of college, going to uh, going to grad school, trying to get an MFA in uh, creative writing, and um, and I was doing that because I really didn't have much of an idea of what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but but I wasn't making anything happen. And so I thought, you know, I'll go back to school. Um, that can't hurt. And uh, in the middle of all that, um, my brother Bobby, who's a brilliant composer and writer, got contacted by Little Airplane, which is the production company that made um, the Wonder Pets. And they asked him. He had he just had his first musical come out called Avenue Q. Uh, so they were reaching out to Broadway composers to to get them. That was the style of the show. They had a lot of wonderful luminaries on there. And uh, and Bobby, being he's he's seven years older than I am, he's basically the best older brother in the world. And he said, "Well, I'll do it if I can do it with my little brother." And they said. <laughs> Sure. So that's that's I got you know I got brothered in I got grandfathered in a little bit and uh, and I think that's that's sometimes you know how these things how these things can happen if you're lucky and uh, you know I'm I'm I write music I'm not I'm not a composer I wouldn't say I'm not I'm not uh, I don't have facility with with the piano or with writing and reading music I can do it a little bit I'm more of a songwriter so my contributions to that process were were you know on the minimal side but it did. It <laughs> It did give me a nice chance to get to meet uh, a lot of the wonderful people at Little Airplane when we came in to do our meetings, and I got a good feel for the place. And then eventually, down the line, there was talk of a um, a writers' workshop that they were hosting, uh, where you'd come in and they'd give you a log line, which is just a synopsis for an episode, oh. and send you home, and you were to write the treatment, uh, and then the episode itself. And I I managed to finagle my way into that, and uh, and then off the strength of that, I was I was hired to to be the script coordinator for the company. And so how do you go from script coordinator to becoming head writer on some of these shows? <laughs> I was, uh, I was, you know, it's funny because um, if, if you know me at all, you know that any job title with the word coordinator in it is is not a good fit, probably. <laughs> this was my first job, too. My, basically my only job. Um, uh, I was very, I was very uncoordinated. I remember among the duties I had to do were, you know, we recorded, they had a, they had a vocal booth and a, actually in a whole, a whole orchestra room. They still do to record the live Wonder Pets Orchestra and all the voices. Uh, they would have the three girls who played Linny Tuck and Ming Ming, who are the, the little animal characters in the show. They'd all come in and stand in the booth together and uh, and do their stuff. So one of the things I would have to do is take the, uh, the script sides, the individual pages, and highlight the names of the characters for each of the actors, and then staple the pages to these old pieces of cardboard backing that had 
tons and tons of staples in them from being reused over and over again and do this in a mad rush and half an hour before the, the girls showed up to record. And so I would always end up stapling my thumb and getting some blood on the on the cardboard or something like that. They might, they might still be there. But um, that that they was how I... They the cardboard? That's horrifying, <laughs> Billy. That's horrifying. I think it's wonder. It's a very green, you know, uh, you know green thing <laughs> to do. But uh, th- those were some of the script coordinator duties. But luckily, I think they were insightful enough to know that they, that that wasn't what they were they were were hiring me for. So that I also was given, yeah. They were like Billy. We don't want you to keep bleeding all over the script. So we need to put you in another <laughs> they, position. They, they wanted they wanted me to put my blood into the scripts. I think just not in literally. Yeah. Um, but not uh, literally, right? <laughs> but I uh, yeah. So I I was doing a lot of writing. I was getting I was being given lots of scripts to either tweak or to to write on my own and um, and and you know doing my best to really take advantage of of those opportunities and. And, um, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. I met a lot of wonderful people and learned so much. Um, and, uh, and then eventually uh, there was another show coming up called Third and Bird uh, that was going to be on CBBS and eventually Disney Junior. And, um, and uh, Little Airplane asked me to, to be the head writer on that show. And I actually initially turned, turned them down because <laughs> I didn't think I was ready, which is, which is probably the smartest move. Find your pets, find your pets, When did you know as a kid that you wanted to be a writer? When did you make that decision? Or was that a decision that came later in life? Um, yeah, it was It was when I was a kid. It was It was very early on. I don't remember what age specifically, but it was somewhere in the, in the four to five four to six realm. I think it was, for a while, it was between marine biologist and something to do with writing. And then I realized, you know, marine biology has to do with science, and I probably shouldn't go near that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a quantitative person, unfortunately. Have you always been musically inclined? As you were a kid, were you also doing music at the same yes, time? Yes, yeah. I, um, uh, I wanted to, to play piano uh, since I was uh, three or four, because I grew up with my brother playing piano. Um, so so I, I took lessons until I was 13, then I switched to guitar uh, in that angsty phase, and that was really, that became my instrument. <laughs> I just wanted to form a band with some friends, so we all decided to learn the instruments we needed, and uh, they were nice enough to let me have the guitar instead of the drums or the bass, and uh, and it was great. Um, I, I've, I've played it ever since. I'm not the most technically proficient player, but, uh, but what I did do in high school, I could never put it down in high school. I was always playing guitar. Um, and writing songs, um, and they're all unlistenable, but there were hundreds of them, and, and then hundreds of other riffs. You know, I have all these old tapes that, that say, Billy Riffs, you know, 11, 19, 93, or whatever, and uh, uh, I've never, I'm never going to be able to listen to them because I don't have a tape player, but I've loved making music. I'm kind of terrible when it comes to doing that in a disciplined way, like sitting down and learning a piece on piano and being able to perform it, but as far as, as, far as just letting it out creatively, that's, that's always been something fun for me. All right, Billy, run through some of your early band names that you come up with. I know you got a bunch of them. Oh, and my God. probably real good. Let's I'm hear the, them. I'm the worst. Uh, I, I seem, in my <laughs> bands, I always get my way as far as the band name, which is terrible because they're always the worst band. I'll tell you, my <laughs> first band, the band I was just talking about when we were in seventh grade, my friends and I wanted to form a punk band. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we had tons of names. And the one we ended up going with was unpronounceable. It was Kazage, K-Z-A-G-E, exclamation point. So uh, nobody knew how to say that. And our first and I Cause think age. Cause <laughs> now it's been immortalized. 
you were working in preschool world. How do you go from that to getting an opportunity to compose a song for Phineas and Ferb? That's pretty cool. How did that happen? <laughs> that is really cool. This is another thing I have to uh, give my brother full credit for. Uh, he uh, found this little show uh, when he was looking for shows uh, for his uh, his older daughter to watch called Phineas and Ferb, and um, and he he pointed it out to me, and I loved it as well. And then he, I, th- I believe, he reached out to to the creators, uh, Swampy Marsh and Dan Povenmire, and uh, and they. They became friends, and I ended up meeting them at one point, and we were all having a good time making up an idea for a musical about Moby Dick, which was going to be called Dick, I believe, and uh, uh, it, it just it just sort of blossomed from there. I became I became good friends with Swampy and Dan, and uh, I was actually out in L.A. Um, guest writing on South Park and kind of having a hard time. I wasn't really, you know, I didn't feel like I was I was contributing anything. And then out of nowhere, Swampy Marsh called me up and said, hey, do you want to come over and write a song? Uh, and I said, yes. So I, I went over and and we had a great time. We wrote this, uh, this sort of bluesy uh, rock song for one of their episodes. And, uh, and it actually sort of rejuvenated the trip for me. I was really down in the dumps about, about failing in the South Park writer's room. And then I had this great experience on Phineas and Ferb, and it, it gave me a little more confidence. So, Well, yeah. speaking of South Park, I mean, in the world of animation, I don't think that there are many people who can point to their IMDb and go, look at how different this is. I've got Wonder Pets, <laughs> Peg Plus Cat on this end, and South Park on this. You know what I mean? That's pretty incredible. That's great. And then when you put those together, the, you hopefully get Welcome to the Wayne. So you mentioned that, you're, that that was something that your brother got you into because uh, your brother Bobby co-created Book of Mormon, is that correct? He sure did. Yeah, he uh, he co-created he sure it and, and wrote it. With, I know. I'm just always uh, whenever I hear that Bobby did stuff, I'm just like, oh my god, what, what did he do? Incredible. Um, he uh, basically ran into Matt and Trey at a at I think at another performance of Avenue Q, and they started talking. And uh, Bobby and his his then partner had wanted to do uh, a show about the Book of Mormon, and I think Matt and Trey had as well. So they started they started then and there, and and uh, and they they all got along really great. You know, it was fun to get over there and 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 watching watching those guys work, the South Park guys in the in the writing room is really is really inspiring and cool and intimidating because they have their they have their their thing down really well and wonderfully funny. So, um, so yeah. Can you get into a little bit of why it was kind of a difficult experience to come over and work on South Park? Oh, sure. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm just sort of a timid personality, you know, um, especially with people I admire, uh, and especially famous people whom I, for me, it's not, I don't really care that much about fame, but, but it, it still has that effect on me when I'm starstruck and I, you know, so here I am with, with Trey Parker and Matt Stone and it was tough for me to kind of relax and get into it. And, uh, and they had, they, they were, they were wonderful and, and, and fantastic, but they, they had a show to make. So I wasn't expecting them to try to like make me comfortable or anything like they had to do their thing. So I just, I, I you know, I, I, I listened for the most part and uh, and piped up when I could but what's funny is that um, working on welcome to the Wayne now um, we've had some young staffers in the writing room we've had you know a script coordinator and I see um, just some of those same uh, nerves uh, you know working on that you know when they're you can tell they want to say something but they're not sure and you're not sure it's gonna play in the room or whatever so it's just it's funny I you know I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly uncommon but but I remember on the South Park episode, I was happy in the end because I think I got one 
one good joke in, and I and I suggested a plot, <laughs> a, you know, a, a major plot beat that got in or something like that. So. Welcome to the Wayne. How long has the idea for the show been gestating in your brain? Where did the idea come from? Why did you want to make this show? There's a couple of answers to the first question, uh, how long it's been gestating. Well, the simplest answer would be I received a call from uh, from my friend and colleague Heather Tillert, who was working at Nickelodeon. This is in 2012. And she uh, she was working on the, the digital side of things. And she said, we have this new digital shorts coming up. We'd love to have you come in and pitch. And they were asking lots of people to come in and pitch ideas. So I thought like, <laughs> I'd pitched, you know, to Nick Jr. before and gotten far enough, but then always ended up getting rejected. So I immediately thought, well, this isn't going anywhere, but I'll I'll go in and show them some ideas and at least get to, to meet some people, and that, that might help. And I went in and had, you know, 10 or 15 ideas, and I, I pitched them all. And um, this is the one that they were drawn to. But as far as how long it's been gestating, I think it's kind of a, a, a much longer process than that. I think because it, it, it comes from the, 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 the idea comes from from more or less um, going trick-or-treating in our apartment complex when I was a little boy, um, <laughs> which was great because, you know, they would have lists in the lobby of all the various apartments that were signed up, and you'd basically go up to the penthouse with your friends um, and start tearing your way down through the stairwells, banging on doors, kicking doors, doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, but really just like, it was like, uh, what is that movie where they let everybody kill each other legally for two hours every year or something like that? It was like that. The for, Purge. For, You're for, talking the about purge. The Purge. Exactly, yeah. It was a, You're, it was you're the, describing your Halloween experience the, the, as like The Purge. The Purge. Except, I guess it would be The Binge in, in the case of Halloween. <laughs> the but, Binge. Uh, <laughs> they, purge is the so next So did day. you start at the penthouse because you knew like, oh, we got to start at the penthouse because that's the big candy. <laughs> Those people up there are going to have the full-size candy bars. Yeah, I think it was more just like you go. You, we were going to hit everything, but I think the penthouses in particular always they were a li- they, the, the ceilings of the hallways were always a little taller, and they always seemed a little spookier. <laughs> so I don't think we were we'd got anything special from the penthouse. But so yeah. already as a kid, you're imagining oh, the people that live in this apartment complex are vampires, and they're you know they're Wayne phenomena. Like you're already imagining that stuff as a kid. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I if I was. At at that age, but what I um, I think what happened was you know th- there was there was the Halloween thing, and then when I was ten, we moved to another apartment building, and um, and that was uh, around when I had started reading. Uh, a lot of Stephen King, and uh, and I ah, think there I, it is. I think yeah, exactly. In particular, The Shining was making a big impression on me, and and the apartment building that my that we lived in at the time was uh, it was a nice place, but it was um, the tenants were largely geriatric, <laughs> and there were often like ambulances and stretchers outside uh, in the driveway when I'd get home, and just a lot of kind of you know the elderly are treasures, but but there a lot of these creepy treasures were walking around the lobby and sitting there and um, and so it was a little spooky so you know with with the image imagery of, of the Overlook Hotel and and you know seeing seeing spooky twins at the other end of a, of a corridor or whatever creeping around in my mind I'd come home and we lived on the second floor 
so it was, I just had to walk up one flight of stairs to get there. But it was always like if I was if if my imagination was running, then I would just be freaked out. Like you know, just just make looking around every corner before I got there. I was just sure something was going to leap out at me. I bet you were avoiding the elevator because you're like, I think a bunch of blood's about to just pour out of there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think bet. So. You just helped a vampire get away with your own brother and my best friend. Slow down, Nancy. You're jumping to conclusions. But he's a vampire. What other conclusions are there to draw? Let's look at the facts, shall we? Vampires are evil. Evil? They suck blood. The suckage? They absolutely terrorize the Romanian peasantry. The Roma of the peasant... Heard that? Yep. That's all hearsay and stereotypes. I'd expect this from you, Wendell. But, Nancy, this is not how Team Timbers operates. So you said, Billy, that this was the pitch that uh, they were really drawn to. Can you tell us a little bit about the pitch? You know, it was a, it started out as a different... And this is something I didn't remember until I looked back at my notes, you know, a couple weeks ago. And um, uh, it was a different idea at first. It was always the building, and it was always Ollie and Ancy, but uh, And they were always going on adventures. But the, it was... I think I was pitching it at first as a show where it was more about these kids' lives and the things that they did. So there would be more of a magazine-style show. So you'd have them playing in one scene, and it would be the world of their toys and how they play with their toys. And then then another scene would be a show that they watched, and you just you know you'd animate that show, and then whatever they but they they'd get into to different adventures in their crazy building um, and discussing they that that appealed to them. And I thought they were they were interested in kind of a magazine format, but um, but as as the conversations continued, they were biting more on the mystery stuff that I was throwing at them and the, the intrigue. So that's, that's where it ended up going, uh, pretty quickly, like right away. And, uh, and eventually I wrote a, I wrote a script, just a, a sort of proof of concept script, which I need to find somewhere. It probably bears no resemblance to the show anymore, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> sent that to them. And I think that helped them see what I was seeing in my head for it. You mentioned Stephen King. Yes. You mentioned Ren and Stimpy. Yes. You know, I definitely get a Stranger Things vibe when I watch <laughs> Welcome to the Wayne. I definitely get a Goonies vibe. I love oh, the, yeah, Goonies the Goonies as a kid so much. My favorite character, Data. So as soon as I saw Sarah Line, I'm like, that's my favorite character. She's it. She's the best. Oh. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of these some of these influences and in, in, uh, in some of the characters, too. The, the Goonies, for me, it's, it's funny just to go on a little tangent. That, that stands to me as proof that you can love love the hell out of something as a kid um, and not know one thing about what it's about. Because I watched the Goonies <laughs> so many times and I could never follow. I mean, it, I noticed that I was losing the thread of the story, but I didn't care. You know, I knew it was going to wrap up eventually and, and all of these disparate elements. As far as, it's, it's just an interesting thing as far as storytelling. You know, we put, we put a really high premium on it and... There's a lot of in just sort of in the zeitgeist now. In people talk, I think it's it's because of what you're saying about about television. You know, coming into this new golden age right now, people's um, uh, at least the people I talk to, everybody's um, vocabulary for talking about storytelling and TV shows and everybody's saying oh, this had second act problems or whatever they didn't tighten up the arc and like so and I nobody was talking that way 10 years ago as far as I remember I never grew up having those kinds of discussions about TV but now everybody knows more about TV than I do so um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy but these shows with with kids kids doing um, 
big adult stuff is is always is it's just such a great theme you can always go back to because kids always like want they want they think responsibility is sexy they think it's amazing like they, you know going to work they everything they play is a is a is a job of some kind and um and that that stuff all sounds great and serious when you're a kid and you feel like you have nothing to do but play and 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 you're you're answerable to everybody who's older than you but then when you get older you realize that none of it's fun but it's still <laughs> just a wonderful thing to to be able to um to write about a, you know, a, a group of kids who are who do have a responsibility and they need to take it seriously and and kind of go Whoa. for broke. An apiary hood, tap shoes. Am I some kind of tap dancing beekeeping whaler? Mystery solved. Team Timbers does it again. No, there's something more to this guy. Something important. More important than raising bees? Perhaps inside of whales? Wilds tap dancing. Did you say whilst? We've got to get to the bottom of this. We know something big is coming to the Wayne, and this guy might be a key part of it. Gentlemen, this guy, it's mission time. Uh, in case people aren't aware, Billy, describe exactly what the Wayne is. Yes, of course. Yeah, so the, the show is about, the, you know, these kids, our main characters, and the building that they live in, which is called the Wayne. Um, I don't know to, to what degree that's that's. Sometimes when I tell people the title and they say, "What is that?" I say it's a building. And I say, "What do you mean it's a building?" Not everybody knows that buildings sometimes have names. I guess so. It's it's, uh, it's a little <laughs> sure, <strange>. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, the the name of the building is the Wayne, and um, it's basically one of these storied you know New York places that has you know that people whisper about, like the Dakota or the San Remo. The things you know. In, in those cases, it's it's celebrity and politician stories and gossip from years ago, and you know John Lennon and all that. But but um, you know, and I think there's some of that you know to be explored in this show too. But but for us, it's about um, these things called WP or Wayne phenomena, which are the creatures and the strange occurrences that can only happen at the Wayne. Uh, and these these Wayne phenomena, these WP are what our main characters are focused on basically they uh, they catalog them they 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 study them uh, but but largely what they're trying to do is protect the people who live at the Wayne and uh, and also protect the the WP the creatures um, there are there are complications when the two get together so the kids uh, see it as their unique responsibility to keep the peace of the building and furthermore to find out What's at the root of all this? What's causing the building to be this way? What's the story? Tell me a little bit about Ansi Molina. He's like the sort of entry point character, audience surrogate yes. in a way. How did uh, the characterization, the personality of Ansi sort of develop? He's been a bit of a mystery for us for a while. We've, we, finally, we finally know Ansi pretty well. But uh, he, you know, initially, in the initial development of the, of the short series, of the original digital series that we did, Ansi was... Um, was he was basically Ollie's foil. He was he's the main character in that he's the he's the uh, he's the audience surrogate. But as far as his personality, I had a few details down. Uh, like he was uh, a bit of a hypochondriac. Um, he's he's very uh, fussy. He he likes things just so, and he's he's very you know intellectual and and fastidious. But um, but more than other than that, I just wanted a straight man for for Ollie to um, to sort of <laughs> fall in love with and play off of 
love and uh, and have their opposite tendencies, you know, hopefully spark something. So, you know, as we as we continue to develop the show in a long form series, one of the big questions we wanted to, you know, find out about ANSI was was well, what's he about in other ways? And and you know, we 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 discovered that he's. He's got a real, uh, he's got a real dashing, adventuresome heroism to him. You know, he he thrives off of off of the stuff that uh, that Ollie throws at him. Even though he would be inclined, you know, in, in other circumstances to to run run the other direction. Something about the Wayne and something about Ollie and all of this stuff brings out uh, the the adventurous side in Nancy. Hey, Nancy! Welcome to the Wayne. Thanks, George. You've been here, what, a couple weeks now? How are you settling in? Honestly, I don't know if I belong at the Wayne. What, the atmosphere a little sophisticated? No, it's all the weird stuff here. So how did the uh, the character of Saraline kind of develop the oh, the yeah. other Timbers sibling? Yes, yes, she's um she has developed a bit. You know, I always thought of her as a pretty integral part of the show. But one of the changes that we've made in bringing the show from a digital series to a long form on cable is is bringing Saraline to the fore a little bit a little bit more, which she she definitely deserves. They you know the origi- originally it was it was a duo. You know, it was Ancy and Ollie, but now it really is the three of them, and they call themselves. Team Timbers. How did you guys make that decision? Uh, you know, yeah, I, don't, I think it was kind of natural. I mean, I, I, I wanted to. I always envisioned Sarah Line as the leader of of their uh, their little three person kid operation. You know, she's the. She's oh yeah, the, she clearly is. She's yes. the mastermind. <laughs> exactly, she's the mastermind. She's got the maturity. She's got the you know her eye on the ball at all times, and she can call a she can call a play like a quarterback and all this and and um, you know. So I I guess what. One one of the things we wanted to do with her is to make sure that she uh, developed past just being a, um, a dictator and somebody who who, uh, who sort of uh, slaps her older brother around, and we really decided to give her this, you know, this other side. It's a little obvious sounding, but the other side is that she's a seven-year-old girl and has questions yeah. about life and doesn't know lots of things and is is afraid. And one of her big issues in season one is um, making friends. She's not she's good with she's good with machines and <laughs> logic, but uh, but not uh, not the logic of people all the time. Allie, give me a hand here. What's this? It's a forgetterator. A forgetterator? What's it do? It wipes the last 30 minutes from your memory, which is how I'm able to tolerate being your sister. Ooh, what's this? It's a forgetterator. Is that Mr. Majestic? He lives! Billy, you voice one of the main characters, Ollie <laughs> Timbers. I do. The John Candy to Ansi's Steve Martin for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, very nice, right? Very nice, very nice. I love Ollie. Oh, I'm so Such glad. a great character. Thank you so How much. I really you, appreciate uh, it. Oh, man, it's Ollie. There he is. Uh, <laughs> did you just know, like, I'm going to voice Ollie? Like, it's going to be me because that's what I want to do? Or was it other people going, I think you should just voice Ollie, man. We can't find anybody to voice. <laughs> how, how did you land as the voice of Ollie? You know, I really wish it were that second thing you said. But uh, but no, it's actually <laughs> a, much, a much more desperate story. I um, There's a couple it's a couple of reasons. The, the, the version I'll go with is basically I when I write a script, um, I like recording them um, sometimes to get 
get a sense of the time, how long, because for me, script pages never, never tell you the length of, of anything. They're, they're no indication whatsoever. So, uh, so I, you know, I recorded and time it out. And when I was pitching them one of the episodes, I brought in the tape recording I'd made and played it as we read along so they could get a sense of the pace and the, the, the timing. And um, James Stevenson, the executive on the project, said, oh, so you're a voice actor too. And I said, no, I'm not. And then I said later, I would like to be Ollie though. And there was, I, I, I didn't know if there was, if they liked hearing that or didn't like hearing that. But what I do know is I had to audition. <laughs> I had to audition against incredibly talented actual voice actors <laughs> who are able to use this thing called the voice to do interesting things. And, and that, that concept alone blows my mind. I don't know how to do that. But I do, I did know that I, I felt the character in my bones. I didn't know if I could get him out right, you know, uh, perfectly right away, but I knew I wanted to. And so I had some surgery done on my vocal cords. No, I'm just kidding. But I, uh, I, what I did, I did a sort of dirty trick. I was, uh, you know, I had my, my demo or my audition tape and, uh, and there were some, there were some other heavy hitters on there and it was like, it was time for the network to decide. So I thought, wait a minute, this is my show. I don't have to play by any rules. I can make up some rules here. So I wrote a, uh, I wrote like a two page long, monologue for Ali um, where he's talking to the Nickelodeon executives and basically he's saying uh, I'm stuck in a in a in a dimensional rift. You only you have the uh, and the, and the dimensional rift has created four different Ollie Timbers, and so I spliced together some of the readings that the other guys had done along with mine. And uh, I, I said to the, you know the the plea Ollie's plea was only you can decide who the real Ollie Timbers is. And I know it's me. I know it's you know. So he's he's making all these jokes and doing and it's pretty pathetic sounding, but it worked. You cheater! <laughs> super, you cheated super and cheating. it worked brilliantly. <laughs> I can't believe that. Thing stole my book. Hey, pal, ah! welcome home. Ollie, what did I say about sneaking into my apartment? You said do it? He said don't do it. Ah! Caroline, this is breaking and entering. I resent that. Entering, maybe, but... Never mind. You are the creator, co-executive producer of Welcome to the Wayne. As of the time of the recording of this podcast, it hasn't premiered yet. That's <laughs> funny. Which is incredibly... Exciting. It's really exciting because I wanted to ask you, how do you hope that audiences react to Welcome to the Wayne? What do you want audiences to take away when they watch the show? I, I have no idea what they're going to. I want them, I want people to, <laughs> if they like, I want them to like it on their, you know, for their own first. But I, I hope that they that they see some of the things that, that you've been pointing out so kindly. You know, the um, the level of the humor, um, you know, the, uh, the pace, uh, you know, the way, uh, as I was saying earlier, the show um, sort of, I was going to say tries to, but really just sort of has to try to blend, um, you know, genres, you know, at any given time. But also just basic things. I, I It's really special when um, I'm learning this now, you know, because uh, we've done some research testing on some of the episodes and I've, I've gotten to see videos of some kids reacting to it. And it's really special when when a child uh, talks about something you made up in a in a in a way that that you can tell it means something to them, it's kind of amazing. I have a a, a three year old boy and a seven month old girl, and um, you know, all these years before this, working in preschool, weirdly enough, children, you know, uh, were not always at the forefront of my mind. Usually not at all. When I was writing this, stuff, <laughs> I was just trying to make my amuse myself or amuse somebody else or whatever. Sure. But um, uh, but now that I now that I have kids, I'm starting to I'm starting to see just just 
you know, how profoundly amazing that could be. So for me, it's absolutely enough that however many people watch it, watch it. Watch the first episode. And, you know, there's a there's a character in the first episode called John Keats. Um, and he's a, he's a flying, uh, sort of a flying squid. And every now and then it just dawns on me, like, if this show does well, it'll be really cool that a whole generation of kids will think of John Keats first as a flying squid before they think of the, <laughs> of the poet. You know, right? that, that, that's sort of, that sort of thing is yeah. fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, if it isn't little John Keats, here to join your friends? What'd you do with my book? Sell it for quill money? Real nice. Yeah, that joke was squidgest. Have you noticed your own sort of creative process changing since you've had kids? Have you seen an actual change in, like, what kind of stories you want to tell and how you approach everything that you're doing on Welcome to the Wayne? Have you, have you seen that change? I haven't. You know, I'm... Um... I'm probably, as as I was sort of saying before with preschool, I'm probably just, like, not observant enough about the impact <laughs> the audience being kids and having my own kids has on my work. I'm sure it has an impact. It must because I have a brain. But I can't tell you what, <laughs> what that impact is. Every now and then I have the, uh, usually when Mike, uh, you know, blushes or, or balks at a joke, I sometimes have the presence of mind to think, wait a minute. Would I want my own son laughing at the joke that I just said? You know, it's like it's it's a rare thing, but um, but every now and then, yeah. he, you know, uh, Charlie and Alice, my kids, do save do save America from uh, an inappropriate joke. Um, that's great. That's what they're there for. That's that's, what, uh, <laughs> they've already fantastic. accomplished everything they need to. I am so so happy for you. I'm so excited for you. Thank I cannot you. wait for you to see people seeing the show. It's going to be so exciting. I think you're going to have a real good year. Thank you so much, Billy Lopez. Thank you so much for having me, Hector. I really appreciate it. Well, there you have it, guys. Our conversation with Billy Lopez. I feel like he just has the biggest heart in the whole world. Huge congrats to Billy on his brand new show, Welcome to the Wayne. If you haven't seen it yet, be sure to check it out. Guys, you're not going to want to miss an episode of the podcast, so please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us online at nickanimationpodcast.com for more episodes and tons of bonus content like some really cool behind-the-scenes goodies from Welcome to the Wayne. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Tony Gutierrez, Jamie Goss, and Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Jonathan Highlander and Josh Caldwell. Our social media team is Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armiger, and David Watson. Manny Grujalva and Justin Brinsfield are our engineers. Until next week, thanks for listening, and keep watching cartoons. Cartoons.